Hello, everybody, and welcome to Teaching Writing in College. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Skeen, and the driving question is, how can instructors in higher education leverage theory, science, pedagogy, and craft most effectively to help their learners with writing? And today I thought we could have an episode on artificial intelligence and teaching writing. And uh, the central question I want to explore here is, what does it mean to learn, and uh, what does students use of AI mean for students learning. And uh, I just bring this up because I know a lot of folks have had ongoing conversations maybe uh, in uh, their capacities as faculty and in their preparation for teaching about AI and about chat GPT and uh, maybe people are still writing policies around it. We still have a little bit of time before the fall semester begins. And uh, um, I am sure this is still on people's minds to some degree. We're still hearing about it a lot um, in the news in higher education as well. There's a lot of thinking happening right now uh, because it is kind of a, a moment that we're having in higher education. And so I've got a couple of episodes here about um, the use of AI. I've got two episodes I, I can think of right now. I accidentally put three in there. I meant to get rid of some of that for now. I may have to come back to this AI as a writing tool. I'm going to take that out for now. Uh, but uh, just for now, I've got just a couple of um, focal points uh, with two episodes. One is how learning works, at least one dimension of learning, along with a case study that I have prepared. That's this episode now. And then um, soon uh, in the future here, I would like to also look at the development of expertise about writing and what that should look like for our students. If the goal is to help students with writing, then uh, and and we're talking about ChatGPT or AI more generally, we have to uh, uh, think about the development of students' expertise. So that's the focus of both episodes. Um, and uh, a really important lesson here is the human brain learns what it has to focus on. And so that's kind of what these two episodes are going to be about. And let me give just an anecdote to get started here. So, you know, if I think about technology back in the year 2000, at that time, uh, that was, I, I started teaching writing in the fall of 1999 at Utah State University. And uh, the university and the, the English department, the writing program there, uh, had seen some good success with learning management systems, which were still relatively new. And uh, some folks out there might recall a learning management system called Syllabase, which was developed in the English department at Utah State University. And that's kind of where I started teaching. I got my first, I taught my first online course in the year 2000 there. And uh, uh, we could do things like request course shells. That's really commonplace now, but it uh, wasn't happening too much back then. But they had this in-house learning management system and they had students um, submitting assignments on paper still. Uh, that's what I was asking for as an instructor. You know, not all students had laptops the way they do now. Uh, there was no Wi-Fi signal. There were no smartphones. Uh, there were cell phones here and there, but that was about it. And there really wasn't a central learning management system on the campus. That was happening. That was sort of developing as time went on. But there were a few different ones. And the English department and some other folks at Utah State were using the, the syllabus software. Maybe sometime I'll have to go back into that and, and do an episode about it. But um, uh, they uh, there was no grade book either. And so I was using uh, just a course shell 
on syllabase, just to supplement instruction. I would, I got to where sometimes I would take students into the computer labs, but if I did that, that was a field trip. That wasn't everybody grab your laptop and take it out and take your notes or whatever in class because you know students weren't carrying laptops around. They were still expensive and cumbersome. Um, but uh, one thing I would do sometimes is I would take students to a computer lab to do peer reviews. So I'd have to go reserve one on campus and take them over there. I think I used one at one of the technology buildings or one of the libraries once. I've got the specific image in mind about this. And um, one thing that I did, you know, I kind of worked out how to do the peer review. And I uh, took that into the lab and I gave each of them uh, all the steps broken down step by step based on, you know, down to the click, what you have to click on to to attach an assignment and to uh, submit it in there and then who is going to respond to whom. I put them in groups and I had all of their names worked out beforehand. So so-and-so knew that they were going to have to respond to so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, I was very, uh, I got very specific about that. Um, the class period went really smoothly because of that, but uh, here's kind of what kept happening. You know, anytime I would try to bring technology into the classroom, or in this case, bring students to technology, uh, the class period was not really about writing. Uh, sp students spent most of their time learning the LMS, uh, learning to keep track of and use attachments, um, learning keystrokes or menus to leave comments. Uh, we were using Microsoft Word. By then, they had uh, the comment bubbles, I remember. I think that came out with Microsoft Word 97, if I remember right. I'm trying to remember my Microsoft there, but uh, I was using it, and I had students using it too. I was also teaching online, and uh, I would you know, leave the comment bubbles with students. Um, they uh, were spending time, spending time finding their files on disks they brought. And I still get this today, you know, when I uh, do a peer review today. Students are used to things like learning management systems. They're used to sharing their documents and so on. Um, not all of them have used comments. And so the first time I do peer reviews every semester when I've got a brand new set of students with me and it's the first time we've done peer reviews together, I like them to leave the comment bubbles. And so we end up spending some time overcoming that and they still spend some time sharing their files and doing all the things that uh, that I would like them to do, uh, to do. And it eats into the, you know, whatever concentration they have on the peer review or the assignment that we're doing. But, uh, you know, um, I've, I've kind of been able to fix that so the whole class period isn't just about using the technology. But, but back in the year 2000 or so, I remember walking away from class and just saying, you know what, this was about the technology. It wasn't necessarily about the writing. And so that's just kind of an anecdote, a background, because um, I want to uh, talk about just kind of a framework about memory and how it works. And uh, this is, a, I think, a very important article that I see cited a lot by Nickerson and Adams uh, from 1979 in Cognitive Psychology, and it's called Long-Term Memory for a Common Object. And this really has influenced my teaching quite a bit. Um, and there's the reference there if you'd like to go uh, look it up in your library. And... Uh, one of the parts of this uh, article talks about a study that they did with college students back in, you know, pre-1979 because they needed to get it published. So uh, in the late 1970s, uh, they asked college students to draw a penny from memory without ever looking at one. And the success, as you can see here, was pretty modest. Um, they had a, a diagram in the article uh, that I have here. And uh, they've got uh, Abraham Lincoln. Sometimes he's facing left. Sometimes he's facing right. Uh, they have different bits of text written on each uh, item. 
Uh, I like to, I show this to my students too, because I like to talk about memory with them in another way that I can share later. But, um, you know, I'd like to joke with my students how this one is kind of a cross between Buzz Lightyear and the Snapchat ghost. Um, we've got a zombie and another zombie. We've got one where Abraham Lincoln is kind of an Abraham Lincoln shruggy. He just doesn't know which way he's supposed to face. And, uh, uh, you know, college students back then really had trouble just reproducing uh, uh, the image of a penny without looking at one. And uh, that was, you know, just one of the lessons that the brain only learns what it has to focus on. And I talked to my students about how I could probably blindfold them or I could blindfold myself. Somebody could blindfold me and they could hand me a bunch of coins. Uh, my students could do this too. I could blindfold them and hand them a bunch of coins and they'd be able to find the penny easily just by the way that it feels. Um, and they could identify it, you know, from a distance just by what color it is. You know, there are different things that we use to uh, distinguish a penny from other coins. And uh, the direction of Abraham Lincoln's face or even what Abraham Lincoln looks like isn't one of those things or what text is on the penny, things like that. Um, what we need to know, what our brain needs to know to use the penny is how much it weighs, which we can, you know, our, our hands are sensitive enough to feel that. And uh, just very... Uh, uh, a, cor a very coarse image of what it looks like, you know, especially that it's the only copper coin in the uh, uh, United States monetary system. But uh, that was one of their conclusions that the human brain, Nickerson and Adams, only learns the details that it needs to focus on. And so um, I'm always asking myself that question. For learning, what do we want our students' brains to focus on? Uh, we wanted to focus, of course, on the material to be learned. And for me, um, all of that uh, informs what I do with conceptual knowledge in the classroom. The Elon statement is uh, what I uh, have here. I forgot to write Elon statement on this slide. I apologize for that. But conceptual knowledge and vocabulary, practice, metacognitive reflection, and disposition, those are some really important things for the brain to focus on so that it can learn. And that's not what was happening in my uh, peer review in computer labs, you know, about 23 years ago now. And so that brings me to another um, article uh, that I came across in my uh, travels uh, in the spring. Uh, it was an article from ZDNet uh, about ChatGPT or other AI and how they can summarize different kinds of texts using the TLDR command. And TLDR stands for too long, didn't read. And so there's this uh, one article by author uh, Jada Jones well, from ZDNet. And it includes instructions for using the TLDR command with common documents like web pages uh, through URLs, PDFs, and books. You know, talks about how um, it can do those things. And it, uh, she recommends reading the materials before having ChatGPT summarize them because, of course, you know, ChatGPT could hallucinate or something, and then uh, the summary would be inaccurate. Um, and then she also reminds us that ChatGPT's awareness is limited to 2021 or earlier. Um, so it's a, a really good little article. I think the TLDR command could be uh, useful in some ways and helpful in some ways um, in a time crunch. And, you know, that's one of the things that uh, uh, AI can be used for. Uh, but the question for me comes uh, in, you know, based on what we saw from Nickerson and Adams, uh, you know, what would students gain? Um, they might possibly gain some time reading if they use the TLDR command, too long, didn't read. 
but they wouldn't have time, you know, they wouldn't spend possible time reading if they didn't have time in the first place, which is what the TLDR command is all about. Um, they would gain some practice with ChatGPT and the TLDR command, and they'd learn how to use it. And uh, they'd probably work with that a little bit. Um, they would end up, hopefully, with a nice summary of material that they might reference later. You know, one thing I do have kind of on my, or in my materials, um, every now and then if I have to learn something and I need to know something about it, or even when I'm writing sometimes and I've got a lot of, you know, material from different articles to cover, I'll just go through and summarize the articles. And then I kind of keep track of them and I can remind myself of what was was in some of those articles later. So I have my own little database. Um, and so just having uh, a reference like that can be really helpful. And then I can go back, you know, sometimes and if something's relevant, you know, maybe I could use it in a piece that I am writing or I can, uh, you know, just refer to it or whatever. Um, and then they would probably have that, I would imagine, archived in their chat GPT account because it would be, you know, one of the chats in there uh, that they've done. But that's what they would come away with. Um, but then we can contrast that with what students might gain by reading and summarizing the material themselves. Um, summaries can provide an opportunity for the reader to focus on the material for an extended period of time. And that's what the uh, TLDR command kind of gets around. Um, it doesn't give the, the student an opportunity to focus on what it is they're being asked to learn. Um, so if, uh, if someone has to summarize th something themselves without the use of AI, what they get is exposure, extended exposure to the material by reading it. You know, if you think about something like an academic article, that takes some time to read. Um, or sometimes even shorter pieces, you know, they take a little bit of time to read. And uh, by reading them, there's some exposure. But uh, there's more to it than that, because when it comes to writing summaries, uh, someone who needs to learn that content has to decide what is important about that content. And they have to make some decisions about it, some higher order kinds of decisions. So they get some factual knowledge by reading, then they have to start making some higher order decisions. Um, then they have to reformulate the content. And so once again, some processing, some higher order decisions that need to be made about how that content's going to fit into a summary. And so what they get instead, uh, inst uh, if a reader just asks ChatGPT to create a summary, opportunities to develop expertise about the reading are lost because the student focuses on using ChatGPT instead of processing the material. Um, so there's, you know, choices that a, an instructor would have to make there in terms of uh, what they're, if they're assigning a summary or reading, you know, what are they assigning it for? How do they want students to internalize it? What a level of exposure do they want students to have? And so on and so forth. So the central question for any use of AI as a teaching or learning tool, at least in my mind, is does what we ask our students to do correspond with what we want them to learn? or what we, how we want their brains to process that learning. Uh, that's really important. Um, if we go back to you know, the penny example, you know, once again, uh, the brain only remembers details that, it's, uh, that it needs to focus on. And so uh, that uh, gives us an opportunity as instructors to think to ourselves, uh, how do we most effectively help our students learn, especially when it comes to um, artificial intelligence. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm trying to keep the episodes maybe a little bit short if I can. 
And I know it's summer. I've got some ideas about what to uh, do here in the coming weeks before the semester starts. Um, I've got another episode about artificial intelligence I would like to do. I'd like to uh, talk a bit about um, how I'm going to prepare for the fall semester. I'm going to provide some recommendations uh, for folks uh, who are interested in uh, that as well. And I really appreciate your time. So thank you so much. And uh, remember also to like and subscribe. I really appreciate it. I hope you're having a great summer. And um, we will have another episode soon.